This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Hi, and welcome back to Titanic Talkline. My name is Alexia. That has yet to change. Nobody has managed to come in and um, mutiny me out of the show. And if they do, I fully expect you all to hunt them down and avenge me. Um, but this week, the person who's obviously going to be leading the charge, if that happens, I'm really excited to have, I believe it's called Ships of Station, or is it Ship of Stations? I've, I've gotten it backwards. Which is uh, it, Carrie? Sh- Ships of State Studio. Good God. It's neither of those. Great. Thank you. <laughs> I. All right, let's start over again. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the talk line. I fucked up my guest's info once more. I'm sorry about that, Gary. It is Carrie McCoy <laughs> from yeah. Ships of State Studios. Hello. Hello. Got it right. How goes it? Oh, pretty good. Um, pretty windy here, so it's kind of. Is it really? Uh, yeah, it's just been kind of just Yeah, I've been running around all day, running errands, so it's been a, and then now I'm here. So it's been a pretty <laughs> crazy day for me. I mean, you know, every once in a while things so. just have to get a little wild. So I Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, like, like <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, I just your right. website. I was, I was just gonna say, you know, it, <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, you know, life wouldn't be interesting. Otherwise, you got to have a little bit of craziness here and there, you know. Yeah, otherwise it's just like, I don't know, not worth it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> a boring pretty, pretty, thing. Pretty boring. Be pretty boring. It really is. <laughs> so I, nope, I'm going to ask you my normal question first. So I always ask everybody when I bring them onto my show, sort of. What is your Titanic story? So, Carrie, what is your Titanic story, if you have one? Oh, oh, definitely. Um, well, it started when I was about, uh, from first I remember, my first um, exposure to Titanic was, um, I was 10 years old, it was my 10th birthday, and my parents got me the, or got me a model kit and a book on Titanic, and um, it was the, um, it was the old, it was the old Revell, um, 570 scale model. If you know what, what I'm talking about, it's, it's I, been I'm around about to Google it. quite some, it's been around for quite some time, but they got me that. And, um, and then they got me the, um, they got me the book Titanic and her sisters, Olympic and Britannic by, um, um, McCluskey, Marriott and Sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a decent book. You know, to be if I'm if I'm completely honest, there are some inaccuracies in there, but if anything, it's a really good photographic reference for me, especially with my artwork. So, and I've had it all these years, and I still have it on my shelf. And it's bit so that's it's been um oh how long has that been? Like twenty three years. So it hasn't it um, hasn't been eighty four years. Man, you know, sometimes it kind of does feel like it, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um. And then, you know, from there, just kind of, it just kind of took off from there. I started getting, uh, I started getting books from the library, um, you know, Dr. Ballard's books, like Discovery of the Titanic. And then, um, 
um, um, Don Lynch's Titanic and Illustrated History. And that's where, you know, that's, you know, and being, you know, being the artistic sort, you know, it runs in the family. I get it from my mom. She was an artist. And, um, you know, seeing Ken Rochelle's paintings and just, you know, just, it just inspired me. And, you know, his, his artwork has been my, probably my biggest um, inspiration over the years as a, as a growing and aspiring artist. And so, you know, I, even, even today, I use a lot of, a lot of his paintings as like references and for like detail work and stuff like that, because I know they're very highly accurate and he's done years and years of research. Um, and then, you know, that just kind of branched off in this, you know, branched off into some other things, you know, like into the, you know, the world of transatlantic liners in general, and then, you know, even into warships with Bob Bauer's discovery of the Bismarck and just getting in just that kind of stuff. So Titanic really, um, for me, you know, really opened the door to just, just a huge world. And it's, you know, 23 years, it's really, really been fun. And it's something that I'm, you know, I'm going to enjoy the whole rest of my life. So that's, that's kind of my, just briefly, that's just kind of my story of how I got started with Titanic. So you talked a little bit about your art in there, which is kind of your primary focus right now. And I'm looking at your website uh -huh. and you do these really beautiful black and gray, highly detailed paintings or illustrations. Uh -huh. I don't know how to do that. How, how would you describe them? One and two, what, what medium are you using? Is this, is this pencil? Is this charcoal? Yeah, wow. uh, yeah this is, um, they're, um, graphite, uh, graphite pencil, graphite powder, um, is the medium. And, uh, yeah, it, I really, I'm, like I said, um, Ken's paintings have been my biggest inspiration, and so because of his paintings being so incredibly highly detailed, um, that's what I strive for in mind is I strive for high level detail, you know, while still keeping it pretty realistic and, you know, high level accuracy. Um, but yeah. And, and so as a result, as you can imagine, they take quite, quite a bit of time just to complete one of them. Um, and because, you know, I have a full-time job, this is, this is kind of like a side thing. So as far as time to actually draw for me, it's kind of like um, mainly on the weekends is when I really have the time to do it. So for me to finally, for to actually complete one from start to finish, it can, it can probably take about a couple months total to get there um, before it's finally done. But when it's all kind of clumped together, each, each one, it's about like this last one I just finished, which is actually on my homepage um, it's called Almost Home. It shows Olympic on her return maiden voyage from New York. It's July 4th, 1911. And off in the distance, just to the right of center, or just to the right of the bow, you look way off in the distance, you can see something just on the horizon there. Um, that's uh, Bishop Rock Lighthouse on the Isles of Skilly. And um, at this point, she's four hours from completing her maiden voyage. Um, but that drawing, um, I actually timed myself on that one. And it took me about 115 hours to, from start to finish on that one. Wow. So, so it's, uh, so they, they, each one is definitely a hundred hours or more into each, each one of them. 
And that's not a hundred hours of continuous labor either, as you were discussing. Like anytime you make any kind of art thing, that's I don't know. Well, youth is impossible to sit down for 150 hours. That's just not gonna happen. But right. just, I mean <laughs> yeah. it's it, it it takes longer than that in a sense, because that's just as you pointed out, the time you're actively spent drawing. That's not including like researching referencing another detail finding the right, time right. oh i lost my eraser finding the eraser yep. <laughs> princess <laughs> yeah. for real but but yeah no yeah you're you're exactly right it's like you know that's just literally just like drawing and then you know just refer looking at my immediate references that i have right there next to me that i'm using right then this isn't counting like you know having to get up and grab out some other books trying to do some more or like research online or you know asking some of the some of the other historians out there you know they they're but there are a couple out there that have helped me a lot with with my work um so yeah it doesn't even count all that and that's Gosh, I don't even know how many hours that is. That is just by itself, but it's got to be at least that again, if I had to guess. It's it's a lot of time is basically what I'm trying to get into, because I'm, I'm looking mm -hmm. at your... I have Almost Home open right now um, on your homepage, and uh -huh. it's letting me zoom in pretty close. I mean, obviously, uh -huh. I don't have the original painting in front of me. I can't put my face Right, on. right. But <laughs> yeah. zooming in, I mean, Carrie, these details are gorgeous you can see every single one of the rigging wires but you're able to get that sort of graduated stroke that shows that the you know sort of the cables are fading in and out of the smoke there's just a lot of really really gorgeous detail that mm -hmm. when you're making if you're not an artist and I'm not a great artist like I like to draw here and there but it's hard uh -huh. to understand all of the different like time effort and techniques that go into making something like this like I can't there's a countless number of different techniques that go into making the smoke gradation look different from the gradation shine on the top of the funnels and then from the steam that I'm just looking at this right now and it's like that must just take so much time to get right <laughs> it it and some and something in some aspects it really it really does um there's some things like especially with uh um with the rigging and stuff sometimes you know, that'll take me, one of those lines will take me like a couple tries to get it right. Because it's like, um, you know, some sometimes I'll straight edge them, but I know that they weren't, you know, they definitely weren't pulled taut at all. They had they had to have some slack because of the flexing and bending of the ship. So I try to do that as much as possible. And especially with some of those longer ones, like the Marconi aerials going between the masts. Those, those, yeah, those are pretty tricky to do freehand. Those sometimes take a couple tries to get right and it, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes i'll be honest but um but yeah there's like yeah you know, i've got there's like a bunch of different tools i use obviously it's not it's not just the pencils you know i use like i got like a couple different kinds of erasers um one of the one of the ones i have which i actually just got recently just picked it up for a few bucks at the hobby store uh one of those uh electric erasers and um Man, that, I don't. I I got it and I started using. It. I'm like, how have I? Why have I not used this until now? Where have I? Where have I been? You know, it because it's allowed me to get such small details. Like in the, um, for example, in the bow wave. Like you look at the bow wave, you see like some of the little spray dots in there, um, like and like in the wake and stuff like that. Like kind of the foam like webbing in there. That's how I was able to do it with that. 
and I couldn't do it with anything else I have. So for me, when I did that, it was, it was just really exciting. I just discovered, you know, a new way to, um, to do some of this, to really bring out the high level detail that I strive for in my work. New tools really do help, even if like technically you could get the same result with an old tool. The Mm -hmm. point is, is that maybe you haven't learned how to do that with that tool. And sometimes you need something else. And I have an electric razor just because I have wrist pain. And sometimes it was annoying when I'd make a million mistakes and then have to go do a ton of erasing. And it is so easy, especially with like a a big, long line to just be like. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. So you, so you kind of know where I'm coming from on that. I do. It's it's not to say that you can't you can't do stuff without it, but like, man, doesn't it help sometimes? Right. right. <laughs> so when you're sitting down and thinking, I'm going to draw something like the Edmund Fitzgerald or the Olympic. First of all, uh-huh. they're two extremely detailed ships. Where do you even start? Because it's not just you know the big shape of it. It's as I've been, you know, going over and over and over and complimenting, it's every little detail here. Like you have one little swung out lifeboat. There's a shadow there. Yeah. Um, it, okay. So as far as my process goes, when I start, I first, um, I'll, I'll just get this really cool idea. This really cool idea. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't, it's like, man, oh, that's really cool. And I'm like, oh, wait, you know, has, has someone else done something like it? And usually, you know, I, I just do like a quick search and don't really come up with anything, you know, because obviously I don't want to um, plagiarize another artist or anything like that. Um, and uh, so so then it's like, OK, once I once I know I'm good there, then it's like, all right. So then I start kind of picturing it in my mind, like creating the scene, the, the picture in my mind. And um a lot of artists will sketch it out first, just do like a rough preliminary and sometimes even multiple preliminary sketches to get their idea firmly down on paper. Um, honestly, I, I really don't do that. I really just go off of what I have in my mind. Um, so what, what you, um, what some, some people probably don't know about me is I am autistic and I do know that autistic people, some autistic people really seem to have, I've noticed seem to really have a gift for, for things kind of, kind of like, kind of like this, like kind of like what I do. And they really, they really seem to be able to have a vision of, of some things. Um, and so I get this, I get the image in my mind and then I'm like, okay. So then I start actually doing my research. Like another, like another thing I try to do, like in the case of Almost Home, is it's a scene that you, you know, is probably not really like as far as I know, there isn't like another painting or a drawing or anything like that at that particular moment in time. And so, so I try to go for something that's really unique, like really unique, something that maybe a lot of people. Don't don't really know about in that particular moment in Egypt's history. And, and so then I, and so then I started doing the research. Um, like in the case of this one, I had to, I was like, okay, 
because this is an actual moment in time. This is something that actually happened. I want to try and get it as accurate as possible. So I was like, okay, you know, I need to know what the weather was like that day. And at that, that time, I need to know what the weather was like, what the state of the ocean was like. And um, I was able to contact a very nice gentleman from the Titanic Historical Society Advisory Board. And um, he was able to definitively answer that question for me. And he helped me out with some of the other aspects of the piece. And um, so then I get that figured out. It's like, okay, so then how far away was she from the light? And so that's when I went doing a little bit of, a little bit more digging. Um, Encyclopedia Titanica has an article by Mark Turnside and Sam Halpern um, called Main Voyage Mysteries. You probably you probably know what article I'm referring to if you if you've read it. Um, I have. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very good article, and it has like the uh, the log cards for Olympics and like especially Olympics um, maiden crossing both directions, um, and so they they have like the geographical coordinates in there as well. So I'm like, okay. So I look at it, it's like, okay, this was where Olympic was. So I take that coordinate and then it's like, okay, so where's the lighthouse located? So I take those coordinates and I determine, okay, they're about, it's about six miles, about six miles apart. And then I was like, well, you know, considering where the viewer is at in the drawing, even though they're elevated above the surface of the ocean a little bit, um, six miles, you wouldn't, you'd probably barely be able to see the top of that lighthouse over the horizon. So in that situation, that's one of those times where an artist has to take some license. They have to take a little bit of art, just a little bit of artistic license. So I did that to make it so that the lighthouse is a little bit more visible and it's a little more obvious what it is. It doesn't just look like some, I don't know, just like a rock out there in the middle of the ocean or something like that. Um, so, um, so yeah, just, just, you know, stuff like that, you know, have to research all this and then, you know, just the process of just putting it all together on the paper. And for me personally, uh, probably the most, one of the most satisfying things about completing a piece is when it turns out exactly how I pictured it in my mind, exactly how I saw it. And I look at it. And I'm like, that turned out just how I want it. It's, it's just a, it's just a really cool feeling, and there's really nothing like it. So that's kind of just, just a little bit of my uh, process. But yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of research involved in some of these. Some, some of them, you know, it's a little more like art, you know, a little more artistic, where it's not necessarily an exact point in time, like an exact event or something like that. Um, like in the case of um, my drawing honor and glory i was just um, about to ask about honor and glory i have that open on my yeah. computer <laughs> yeah um that one while it does it does show her you know it shows her in the late morning of the 14th so about 12 hours before her fatal encounter with the iceberg um at the same time because it's it's mid-ocean so there's really no landmarks around or anything like that um just a little bit of research I had to do was just the kind of what the weather was uh, kind of like at that point in time. But other than that, um, like for example, the flags on the tops of the mass, um, I actually learned very recently that in real life, um, the flat on the open ocean, the flags wouldn't be flying from the mass. 
the only the the only flag that the ship would be flying would be the ensign at the jackstaff on the stern. Right, um, right, right. Huh. But, but again, you know, you see a lot of paintings of the ship at sea with flags on it. So it's like, well, you know, and I'm going to realize it's like, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just that's completely artistic. You know, artistic license, it really, it does really add to, it really does add to the piece as well. So, of course, that was, I learned that at, well after I did that drawing. So, it's like, oh, okay, you know, like, I, I just, I just got to the point where it's like, you know, I, I can, I can deal with it. I tend to be pretty perfectionist, more, really more so when I was younger. But as I've gotten learning, you know, I've learned some things, I'm just, um, you know, and just some of the experience you get as you age, it's just kind of like, you know, some things I was just kind of looking at, it's like, you know what, it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect, you know, it's, it's a work of art, it's not a photograph of the real thing, and it's, it's, it's definitely not like a, uh, like a plan or anything like that, and so I'm learning to be like, you know what, I'm okay with that, my, I think I that's the very best I could, and yeah, and I feel like all in all, I I did a pretty good job and came pretty close to it. Even if there's just a couple of just little things that ultimately just it, it doesn't really matter that much. So, but that's just a little bit of um, kind of how I approach each of each of my works. Well, you said you found out about the flags after the fact. What when you're doing your research on, you know, drawing Titanic, whether it's Honor and Glory or the the other one that I can't remember the name of, but um what what are some of the facts or interesting things that you found out about during the process of your research that you wouldn't have considered? Because, you know, I know that you're not particularly looking at like the construction of the engine room. You're not drawing the engine room. You're gonna be focused on the exterior appearance, which I sometimes think maybe we don't pay attention to that much. It didn't contribute right. to that, so. <laughs> right. Um, let me let me see if I um understand your question um correctly. Um, um would you would you mind uh, kind of rephrasing it if, if you no don't problem. mind? Um, you were mentioning all the research that you do when you're making your drawings. I was wondering what uh-huh. you thought were some of the more interesting things that you found during your research particularly about Titanic when you were having a poke around the world, the books, the internet. Um, well, um, I, there's, there's been a few just little things I've learned and even not necessarily pertaining to the piece I'm working on, but it'll probably, you know, aid me with another one later on, you know, there in my knowledge bank, the flag, like I said, the flags were a big, kind of a big one for me. Um, and so then I was, man, I see all these paintings with ships with flags flying in an ocean. Man, that's not quite right. But then, like I said, it's like, oh, well, that's that's just an artistic, an artistic touch. That's just an artistic place. It just made it really adds to the, to the whole. Um, so that was kind of a big one for me. And that's why I didn't draw them almost home. You don't see them on the mast, but you can just see the blue duster at the stern just barely. Um, and kind of a funny thing about that was I had drawn, I had already drawn the white star bougie on the main mass and it was so perfect. I had done it so perfectly and I was so proud of it. And then I found out about that. I'm like, oh, I was, I was kind of bummed to be honest. I was like, cause I'm trying to make 
as accurate as possible. It's like, well, that wouldn't be there then. So uh, as much as I hated to, I, I had taken a picture of it though, before I erased it. So at least I have it still, but, but yeah, that was, um, like I said, that was, that was one of the, that was one of the bigger, that was one of the bigger ones for me. Um, (coughs) excuse me. Um, and then again, just, just some, just nothing, nothing really like major per se. A lot of the, cause a lot of these, any major things, like any major differences between like the three sisters are, you know, for a lot of us that are really into them are, are, are pretty obvious. Sure. And, um, but it's, it's, it's just some, some of the, some of the little things and it's those little things that I just keep learning about. It's like, I'm, I'm learning something new every day. It's, it's just some, some of these little technical things. Um, just as an example, and again, it doesn't necessarily apply to any of my drawings I've done up to this point. Nobody cares. But, um, Tell me anyway. The main, <laughs> but um, uh, in this case, the the main ship's bell, the twenty five inch bell that was mounted at the base of the foremast on the Olympic class ships. Um, what I actually I didn't know until just recently was that each one of the three ships had that bell mounted in a different spot on the mast. Huh. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, um, Titanic's was mounted on the back. So it was like facing towards the bridge. Sure. Um, Olympics was on the front and Britannic actually had hers mounted to the starboard side of the mast. Huh. So <laughs> just kind of a little, one of those little interesting things that they did I'm, i don't did know it, why they did it oh, like all right that, you but... answered my question i was gonna say did it say why i i don't know I, but i have noticed it seems um from stuff i've seen it seems that where the bell would be mounted on the back or even on the front it seemed pretty close proximity to some of the steam winches there on the forecastle deck and mm. so it would seem like it might be kind of you know kind of hard to you know kind of awkward trying to get to it you know so maybe so maybe that's why on Britannic, the last one, maybe they mounted it to the side so it was, you know, it's just easier to get to. Um but that's that's again, that's just that's just speculation. You know, I don't know if that's actually the case or not, but um but but yeah, like like I said, it's just a lot of the things I've learned that I learned that I pick up these days are just just little things, little tiny details that you know, may play out in future drawings, but if not, then, you know, it's just one of those things I have had back there in the back of my head. And it's just, again, you know, you know what they say, knowledge is power. So, I, I um, mean, I have a bunch of quote unquote useless little facts. Like anybody that, that will let me corner them into a <laughs> conversation will find out about what the floor in the first class dining room is made out of, because I'm just going to tell them that it's linoleum. Um, right. Because I have nothing right. better to do with my time than surprise people with random <laughs> facts. But they're yeah. interesting things to know. Oh yeah, and I mean, I mean, for those of us that are just really into it, you know, it's like it's like you know, Titanic and like these other ships. They're they're kind of like our world, really. Yeah. And so <laughs> you know, for us, for us, for us, there's there's nothing like weird or misunderstandable about that. But you know, a lot of people honestly you'd probably look at someone like me because you know i i can i i do geek out sometimes and they're just kind of looking at me like 
man, you're kind of weird, you know, or, or I may not necessarily say it that way. I've just kind of gotten, but I've just kind of learned to be like, ah, okay, that's, you know, you can think what you want, but that's, that's, that's me in a nutshell. So well, there's a lot of people who have interest in different maritime things, not just Titanic. I mean, Titanic is a big one, but there's a lot of interest oh, yeah. in the maritime world. It's fascinating. And, you know, up until the 19, you know, 50s or 60s, uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, steamboat travel and sh- ocean travel in general was the primary method of moving anything, including people right. from country to country. You couldn't just hop a plane. It, it, it wasn't available in that way for several decades more. Right. But yeah, yeah, no, that's entirely that's that's absolutely true. But yeah, one with the advent of the jetliner in the fifties, from that point, you know, the golden age of transatlantic travel by passenger ship was pretty much that was like the death knell for them, sadly. But you know, it's just you know, as sad as it is, you know, is, you know, technology keeps advancing and and you know things just like travel gets easier and faster and because yeah you know uh, you know ships um cross the ocean in like four days four or five days and you know plane cut that down to a matter of hours so yeah that's so you know it's it's pretty understandable that's a pretty big deal everyone's like oh yeah this is this is this is the way to go now so then from there just you know they the the transatlantic liners just kind of faded into faded into history. You know, it's, it's kind of, kind of sad, but it's, that's just, you know, time moves on technology advances. So There's also a, a, you notice the difference and I talk about it a couple times and just sort of the way there was a shift in travel sort of around this time necessitated by Germany entering the, the, the steamship race with, a big bang um and they kind of forced the united kingdom and sort of anyone else who was making ships to be like we gotta up our game and right you know, mauritania and lusitania titanic olympic and britannic were sort of the uk's answer to that to that race flag and, right right you know, they they really doubled down um cunard was like well we're gonna we're gonna be speed and luxury but a focus on speed and white star was like we're gonna be speed and luxury with a focus on luxury and right <clears throat> It's just really interesting to see how the design and shipbuilding, first of all, it varied a lot between just Mauritania and Lusitania and then the Olympic classes. But then you look at, say, and I'm this is not meant to sound critical of the company I'm about to name, but you look at, say, a Virgin Cruise Line ship and the uh-huh. design and right. the necessity and the necessities of its passengers and the aesthetic of the times, it is so interesting how everything has changed from hey look at this brand new concept of us offering hot food on a ship to now it's like if you didn't have hot food on a ship no one's getting the hell on right (laughs) that's true and you know that's kind of interesting that um you know you bring that up there's just a couple couple little things about that that um came to mind um like you were talking about you know just you know, just some of the little differences, noticeable differences between Mauritania and Lusitania. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part part of that was, you know, part of that, you know, um, Leonard Peskett, Canard's chief naval architect, um, obviously he designed them as well as Aquitania. But um Which I keep forgetting about uh, because the other two are just 
so much more interesting and yeah. important. Poor Aquitania. Right. Yeah, it it well to be they were built as sisters, as like direct running mates, sisters to each other. Aquitania obviously didn't come until seven years later, and she was built to as more not so much a sister, but as a running mate to so for right. their um weekly service. Um but um but the uh my understanding is that part of the reason for some of the differences between Lusitania and Mauritania is the fact that they were built in two different locations. Which is um, so cool. Yeah, you know, Mauritania was built. Yeah, right. Um, so it was just kind of um, those shipyard work or those shipyard um, draftsmen, architects or whatever, whoever was working there. Um, it was kind of their, I guess, their take on the main, the basic original concept um, that Pascal drew up Tanya uh, was built at um, Swanner and Newcastle. And sorry, Lusitania you broke up. You broke up. Um, sorry, Kara, you broke up quite a fair bit there. So could you repeat the last few sentences just so that everyone can hear? Uh, okay. Um, can you hear me okay now? Yes. Okay. All right. It, if, it might be my connection here. It's not very good. So I apologize about that. Um, I just want to make sure that everyone gets what uh, Oh, right, right. Absolutely. Um, so, Elmartania was built in Newcastle at Swan Hunter, and Lusitania was built in Clydebank by John Brown. And so, you know, that's part of, uh, part of why, you know, they were actually known as, you know, Martina was known as the English sister and Lusitania was known as the Scottish sister. Um, but, and then, you know, a very obvious example of differences between the two shipyards and the way they, the way they, their takes on the design was their choice of ventilators on deck. Um, Mauritania had the more uh, conventional, more common cowl type vents those big old white vents down both sides of her um top deck alongside the funnels and lusitania had these rather kind of weird you know kind of kind of ugly like they're like drum style they kind of look like these trash cans you know they just like they just had these weird lids (laughs) on them that you could adjust that that's what that's what i've heard that i've heard some people is kind of say yeah they kind of look like trash cans i'm like they're kind of <laughs> not wrong really i mean just, when you're right it's you're just right. one of those one of those <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but it's just just one of just one of those you one of those things that again made those two pretty easy to tell apart and again show two different shipyards and their idea on certain parts of the ship's construction Whereas in the case of Harwin and Wolf, obviously the Olympic class, Harwin and Wolf built all three. And so they, in that regard, they were um, pretty much all very much identical, except again, for a couple small things, but in their main design and appearance, they were practically identical. So. Well, that was a detail I really liked about the Lusitania and the Mauritania, which is, you know, not to say that there's anything wrong with things being a little 
similar. But I thought it was a really interesting uh-huh. move to send out two, basically the shells of two ships and be like, all right, Team A, you fit this one out. Team B, you fit this one out. You've got the basic checklist of what you need to put in there. Have fun. Bring me a boat, boys. <laughs> that's pretty that's probably basically what it was really you know you're probably you're probably right on that one that's that's probably probably what it basically was it's like you know they have they have the basic like the blueprint the basic idea and yeah they, as far as like some of the little nitty like the nitty-gritty and stuff like that they just kind of um did what they felt would work would work the best and you know, kind of, kind of, uh, just touching back on that just a little bit with Lusitania's oddball um, drum ventilators. Um, as they, as they failed, as they aged, and as they, as they stopped working, um, they were actually replaced with the more conventional cowl style, like what Mauritania had. So that's why you see earlier pictures of Lusitania. You see all these weird little drum-shaped vents later like towards the time when she was sunk, you see a few more of the typical cow vents on deck, especially up towards the, up towards the bridge, you see like a pretty good grouping of them up that way. So, so yeah, it's just kind of, and again, yeah, it's just the kind of trial and error thing. It's like, you try something else, like, okay, well that doesn't really work. So I guess we'll just, we'll try this instead. I know there's some people that for some reason are like, oh, the Mauritian Lusitania are so ugly. I'm like, all right, you can just say you prefer the Olympic class without being rude about it, A, but I have to say, (laughs) there's one thing where I'm going to kind of agree with them on, and I don't know why, and this is like the weirdest and most nitpicky thing, but whatever material that Cunard picked for the funnels and then the, the, the addition of the little rings on them, for some reason, uh-huh. makes them look ridiculously industrial and kind of cheap. Oh, so you're talking about kind of like the the funnel bands, like the yeah, bands. the funnel bands, and then I guess it's just like an extreme. Maybe at this because I'm, I'm looking at the Mauritania and the Lusitania, and it just sort of looks like, and probably I'm wrong, but the funnels have what looks like a sort of unpainted appearance, or you know, just because it's black and white, perhaps it was matte paint, but. Like I said, it's like, I'm not, I'm not, it's like, I'm trying to see what other people are like when they're like, oh, those two are so ugly. I'm like, they're fine. Sure. But if it's like, if, if I had to pick one thing out, it'd be like, yeah, those funnels look kind of awful and cheap. But other than that, I'm like, it's pretty similar to the Olympic and the Titanic. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, um, I, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to be the person that prints out two pictures and points out all the differences because I simply won't do that. But like, <laughs> yeah. if you covered my eyes, put one of them in front of me and then gave me like a, okay, which one is it? One, two, cover it again. I might get it wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I just um, might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of interesting you mentioned that though, because I think I know um some of the photos you're talking about. Like there's one Probably. in particular that comes to my mind is you're on Lusitania's port side, you're up about the area of the bridge and you're looking aft down her port side. And um I think I know what you're talking about, like the like the the red orange part of the funnels looks very streaky and very flat like yeah like and then when yeah, it like photographs it, looks, it photographs yeah, like, it almost, with like a matte yeah. appearance yeah or like like it just or yeah like it just looks streaky and kind of dirty like yeah like i think if if that i think that's that's what you're referring to um it absolutely I, is i'm honestly not sure it, it 
Yeah. I'm not sure it could have something to do with the quality of the photographs. Maybe it was something, maybe it really was actually just a little bit, you know, grimy and hadn't, you know, she hadn't been cleaned or touched up. I'd give you the photo, the, the quality of so. photo thing, but I'm looking at this picture um, in 1911, which you, you might be familiar with. You've probably looked at this doing your research. It's of Olympic arriving at port in June 11, okay. 1911, with the Lusitania in the background. Uh-huh. And you can see, I mean, yes. obviously the Olympic is yes. closer. To, you, you, so you know what I'm talking about. Okay. So this is the same photo. These, these Both of these ships exactly are in the exact same one. photograph. And even so, in the distance, the Lusitania's funnels look, <clears throat> they pale in comparison to the way that White Star, how it treated their um funnels and i think this goes back to me just be to like the whole like what what's important to you and what are your design things and it's like funnels are meant to carry smoke uh-huh. at the end of the day i mean that that is right. the primary function so i can right. also understand why maybe you know it wasn't as big of a thing but i can also see where maybe it was just a thing that white star line got lucky with and they were like look at this cool new paint we tried out isn't it cool that it looks yeah. clean all the time <laughs> like they could have just gotten lucky <laughs> Maybe. But, yeah, maybe. But when and, you're looking for little yeah. things, to, when you're I looking mean, for these little tiny things to be nitpicky about, it's kind of like, you got to get ridiculous. And I'm getting ridiculous about funnels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, some, sometimes there may be some things where I'll get kind of like that too. And, you know, it's funny that you bring this up talking about how a lot of people think those two sisters are kind of, you know, kind of not very attractive compared to the Olympic class. Um, just recently one of the i saw where someone said that their personal opinion they thought that that whole you know the second class superstructure at the stern on lusitania mauritania where the main separates it from the main superstructure um there i there's someone that said that man that's just that just ruins the lines and i'm sitting here and i'm just and i kind of like okay but I, I, you know, personally, I think it really makes it's part of what makes them them. You know, it's part of part of what makes them unique. And to me, it's to I, I think I think it adds to them. I, I think it really it really helps. It's it's part of their looks and part of what makes them look so nice, in my opinion. And of course, you see that obviously you see that with Aquitania as well. But I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Aquitania's was more or less actually connected, more or less. But unlike the other two that were pretty much separated by a little little space there where the main mass came up through it. But, you know, I I was like, well, you know, I like I said, I think I, I think it really adds to their looks and part of what makes them to me what make part of what makes them attractive so it's funny so now, I, think I, was never... I think i was sorry i was just gonna say it's like i've never actually looked at that <sighs> and i'm looking at it now and it's like, i genuinely don't i know it's there i know that if i looked harder i'd see it but like just to my untrained eye i don't see a separation and maybe Maybe I'm just not looking hard enough, but I mean, it, it, it's not. There's a, there's a, a well, a, a well-known photograph of Lisa Tanya on her sea trials where you're looking at her pretty much side on from the port side. 
And that, I think, you know, that, that's a, I think that picture is a pretty good example. I should really, that's one of those pictures that should really show it where you can really see that. You know, you look at that picture right about the main mast and you'll see a gap between the main structure and then the little structure back behind that, which was, which was for second class, like second, second class spaces back there. But you look at one of those side on views, you, you can, you can, you'll usually, you'll usually see it a lot easier there. I see it now that I've zoomed in as far <laughs> in as I can get on the Lucid uh-huh. Tech plans. And it, I guess it's just because yep. in my brain, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. not the- that big of a deal. <laughs> like I'm looking at the separation, I'm like, okay, but they didn't clean yeah. the ship in half. It's, it's, it's just still kind of one a- ship. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not like they did that yeah. thing that they do with extra long city buses yeah. where they put the rotational thing in the center. Like they didn't do that. Like it looks fine. Right. Where, where yeah, where they are where they articulate it and joint it in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would be extremely weird looking, but very interesting. <laughs> like what have you done? We've yeah. created but a you monstrous know, it's, ship. It's kind of interesting because Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but right. yeah, it's kind of interesting because you you kind of <laughs> yeah you're good. Um, you, kind, you, of, kind, you of kind of see... see that a little bit with um Brit- uh, Britannic. You can actually kind of see that that was one of the thing that was one of her big um one of the big distinguishing features about her is that she had a built up shelter deck at her stern. Um, so that third class passengers would have kind of a sheltered area because mm-hmm. that, that was typically for third class back there. Right. So I then think... she had, you know, actually had a sheltered area. It really shows how they were adjusting um, travel to be more accommodative of all economic classes. Um, uh-huh. You know, White oh, yeah. Star Line. Yeah, like cause with White Star Line, you know, it's, it, and I bring this up time and time again on the show because I think it's really important to remember that until like 1912, well, 1911 with Olympic and a little before mm-hmm. with Mauritania and Lusitania, transatlantic travel was not fun. You would bring your own food across all classes. <clears throat> First class, in many cases, would expect you uh-huh. to bring their own food and your own bedding. And they called it steerage right. because it was one big communal hall. It wasn't it wasn't like a right. joke. It was a literal statement. And then they had to re-revolutionize travel. <laughs> and all of a sudden it was, hey, what if we didn't treat poor people like literal trash? And then they started, you know, right. actually building in amenities. And it's really interesting to see how <clears throat> the conscientiousness for the lower, quote unquote, lower class people is visibly growing where they're thinking hey what if we didn't make the third class people be outdoors all of the time let's enclose right. their promenade space so that they're safe from the elements like these are not questions people had used to have <clears throat> it was just how many people can we cram onto this boat there captain right right no i, I totally agree with that and you know i i think as far as the treatment of the lower classes, uh, of course, as we know, like in the 19th century, steerage, as it, so it's called, they were, it was like, I imagine it was about like living in a barn. It was probably like, you know, they were just like a bunch of animals thrown together. A barn that and, moves. You know, so they're, they're, they're like basically like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And, you know, like that they, they, they lived in such, atrocious conditions 
And, you know, with people getting seasick, you can imagine how awful that, how awful that was. And you're just like, you're just like walking around in it and stuff like that. This is, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like. So I think, you know, that brings up um, kind of going to the German, um, the German side of things here. Um, Albert Bowen, um, the, the, the chief, the head of HAPAG in Germany. Um, I think, I think he was at least in part, part of the reason, uh, part of class uh, going from such awful low conditions to something that was more comfortable um because you know at that time late 19th like from about the mid 19th into the like first 20 years of the 20th century immigration was a big money maker that was that was one of the that was one of the ways the shipping uh transatlantic companies got a lot of their money was from people trying to go find a better life in the united states and you know Alan saw that and he I think to help attract more of them he started um where it started making it where it was more like um more you know treating again like you said treating them more like human beings you know like actual people you know make making sure you know making sure they were fed had space you know, nice a nice place to cross the and you you can kind of see that in the start of the twentieth century, you know, some of these ships. There were people that was that it's even better than home. Sorry, Carrie, you're you're really, really cutting out pretty badly, but um one of the things that you were saying, which I, I really want to just re-repeat for everyone who, who didn't hear it, was that, as Carrie said, for a lot of people who are traveling in these conditions for the first time, they were being treated better than they were receiving at home. And that's not meant to say that, like, it's implied that something bad was happening to them at home. But now anyone can go to Applebee's and have dinner. You can go out to eat for, for almost any right. budget. At the time, going out to eat was right. an ex exceptional luxury like some people would never be able to afford it in their lifetime because you just couldn't save up that kind of money to go eat fancy food what's wrong with you we have a family of seven to feed and to be on a ship where every meal was served to you by somebody a hot meal served to you a bed of your own when many people had been sharing beds or not even living in beds their whole lives it was a revolutionary revolutionary experience for many of the working class. No, I absolutely agree, and that's uh, then and that's one of the one of the things that you know kind of draws me to the Olympic class in general is that again, even for third class, those are some pretty nice, pretty nice accommodations. Mm-hmm. You know, people saying that it was better than conditions even at home in like England or ireland or whatever especially because ireland you know just some years before that had gone through had been dealing with an awful famine horrible famine and so yeah and so then you know to step onto this huge ship and like you were saying you know having these hot meals actually served to you man that must have just been mind-blowing 
for some of those people. That must have just been that must have been a really special experience, like a once in a lifetime thing for them. It it really must have been. And I think, like I say, I think that's kind of one of the things that really attracts me and makes to these particular ships and makes them so special to me was that it seems like White Star cared about their customers and the people that would be traveling with them. It's like they tried to make it, you know, make make the experience, even for poor people, some something special, you know, something that they might never again experience. And so I, in that sense, I think I see them as being very, um, um, like, like very thoughtful, very thoughtful company in, re- in regards to their customers. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I think that was indicative of, uh, you know, in the, in the same way that we were just talking at the beginning of this episode, how detailed everything was. And I really, really encourage anybody, I'm going to post, um, I think I'm going to use Honor and Glory as the photo for this episode, just because that's my favorite of your works. That's the one that I like the most. But to anyone who's listening to this, please go and check okay. out the rest of his um, his work. But Carrie, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about your art and your techniques and your history and sharing all your facts. Oh, no, absolutely. No problem. It, it was really, it was really fun being on here. You know, I was pretty nervous at first, but, you know, just, um, it really helped. I, I settled in. I felt pretty comfortable. I, I really did enjoy this experience. I, I really appreciate you having me on. It was, it was really great. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun for me. So. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see everyone next time. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!